0: Thank you. Right, guys, welcome to Revive School. Brand new week and here it is. Kevin, we get to finish another book of the Bible. We are finishing, wrapping up, concluding, whatever you want to say on the book of First Kings. Halfway through the historical books. Halfway through the historical books. And so I, I love this thought, you know, every, every single book we have a, a phrase or a word that points to the coming Messiah. Now, in 1 Kings, you know, for the first half, first 11 chapters, we're talking about Solomon. We're talking about the wisdom, the wealth, the prosperity, and just how really he experienced peace basically through half the book of 1 Kings. And so here you have a phrase, and just so it's up here on the board as we're wrapping up 1 Kings, is something greater. So as we dig into 1 Kings 21 and 22, you know, just a quick backdrop in the first 14 verses, you know, you have this infamous Ahab and Jezebel you know Jezebel she runs the show that's really what it comes down to and Jezebel ends up killing Naboth in verses uh, the first 14 verses you get to 15 and 16 Ahab steps in right in verses 15 and 16 and then he comes in he takes Naboth's vineyard right because everything Jezebel is doing is Ahab is just a yes man right or yes woman whatever that is and then verses 17 through 29 Elijah comes in and rebukes Ahab. That's your backdrop to the last chapter of 1 Kings. And I don't know if you feel like, dear Lord, which king are we talking about now? Like, it just always feels like which country? Is Ahab with Judah or is he with Israel? (laughs) Yes. You know, like that's the feel constantly. So I I just want to say slow down. You're doing great. Like, there's a lot here to grasp and to read. And if you're not getting all of this, it is okay. It's not the end of the world. We just want to continue to paint a picture about how all of this points to, you ready for this, something greater. Now, what I love is, is that you have Ahab and Jezebel. They're a mess, right? A hot mess, literally. But then you have Jehoshaphat and enter Jehoshaphat's going to be a part of this chapter. And really, you know, there's a lot of Ahab in the story, but really, in my opinion, 22 is really about Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, think about this, okay? He really, he he's one of the eight good kings, okay? There's not many, right, Kevin? <laughs> Nope, Not many at all. And, he, you know, in 1 Kings 17, it says that he sought to please the Lord. When we get into 1 Kings 17, 7 and 9, he sent priests throughout the land to explain God's law to the people. So, like, I mean, this king is legit. He really wants to continue to make a difference. And he continues on. He even assigned priests to serve as faithful judges to those folks um, so that they could handle their disputes. And so Judah actually experienced a period of peace with Jehoshaphat. Crazy thing is, though, Nelson says this, though, uh, look in verse one. If you go to First Kings 22, one, there's a lull of three years without war between Aram and Israel. Okay, so here you have two countries. There has been there's there's no fighting. But Nelson's comes in and says there's a rising threat of Assyria. Ahab had failed to press in. Right. And to actually and, and, and to bring about and take advantage of this three years And he had not reoccupied the strategic highlands of a community called Ramoth and Gilead. So in this period of time, he could have maybe even taken advantage and gone after a community, but he doesn't. And in fact, after three years, as Wearsby says, Ben-Hadid hadn't kept his agreement to give Israel back the cities that his father took. And now, here it is, it's time to do that. It's time to come after that strategic city. That's the thought process, at least where we're at today. In verse 2, it says, however, in the third year, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, he went to visit the king of Israel. Okay. And that king is Ahab. So King Jehoshaphat comes and visits King Ahab. Okay. And so here's what happens. In verse 3, the king of Israel had said, don't you know that Ramoth Gilead, it's ours. And he even says this, we have failed to take it from the hand of the king of Aram. Like, we haven't done anything about it. We have failed to do this. And so, Kevin, can you go to the map uh, specifically here of Ramoth Gilead? So here's what you're going to see is Ramoth Gilead. And what you see is the king Ahab. He's saying, hey, guys, we have literally failed to take this from the hand of the king of Aram. So in verse four, he then asks Jehoshaphat, OK? But remember this, who went and visited King Aram? Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat visited, okay, a family member. I think this is really interesting, okay? Now, not kind of, I mean, you'll see this. If you can go to the genealogy, I'm going to keep you moving here, Kevin. Now, now watch this, okay? So when I say a family member, when Jehoshaphat visits Ahab, here's how. Okay, so Jehoshaphat, his son is Jehoram, okay? Jehoram marries Athelia, okay? If, if I, However you say that, Athelia. So husband and wife. Well, the problem is, is that not that Jehoram's in the line of Judah, But Athelia is the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab and Jezebel. So the Jezebel spirit, King Ahab, who has no backbone, their daughter marries Jehoshaphat. So if Jehoshaphat goes and visits Ahab, he's kind of visiting family. So in this conversation, just so you know, um, that's when in verse four, he asked Jehoshaphat. I'm not saying it's a family reunion. I'm just saying they're talking. Will you go with me to fight Ramoth Gilead? Like, hey, king of Judah, would you go and do this? And he says, look what he says, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your people. Now, in Solomon's days, we would be like, yes, let's unify, right? That 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 would be the heart. But you guys, we understand King Ahab doesn't have that heart. Jehoshaphat does. So when when Jehoshaphat says, Your people are my people, my horses are your horses, I think that's weird. You know why? Because here's what I want to do: is I want to write down just a couple of points here. One of the things that we have to do is we've got to be careful, right? Who do we align ourselves with? I mean, think about this. Just by allowing Jehoshaphat's son to marry Ahab's daughter, he compromised. And so what I love what Wearsby does is I'm going to make a little bit of a side note over here. Jehoshaphat, as good of a guy as he is, Jehoshaphat. <laughs> He had three compromises. One of them is a bride compromise. He allowed his son to marry into that family. He shouldn't have. Just by saying yes, and now you're like, oh, now, Kyle, are you saying you can't cross family lines? In this case, no way. (laughs) You cannot. And so he compromised himself. So you got to be careful who you align yourselves with. Just because it sounds good or it looks good doesn't make it right. And I think you need to hear that one more time. I think there are people that are part of Revive School. that I don't know any of your stories in that sense. Like you have aligned yourself, you've partnered with, even in maybe in business, that you're unequally yoked maybe and that you know this isn't of the Lord. And the scripture says that's not, we should not be aligning ourselves with those type of folks. And you're like, well, Kyle, that sounds kind of forward. No, but it's it's scriptural. Be careful who you align yourself with. Because you just never know what doors you might actually open. In fact, Kevin, can you go to um, can you go to Proverbs four, verse fourteen through seventeen? Proverbs four, verses fourteen through seventeen. We'll see how much we get through here. <laughs> Don't set foot on the path of the wicked. Don't proceed in the way of evil ones. Verse fifteen. Avoid it. Don't travel on it. Turn away from it and pass it by. Verse sixteen. For they can't sleep unless they've done what is evil. They're robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. Verse 17, they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. I want to remind you something, okay? When when Jehoshaphat said, yes, my son Jehoram can marry Ahab and Jezebel's daughter. You got to remember, what did Ahab and Jezebel do? Jezebel tried to kill, do you remember this? Elijah... Like, they went after the man of God. So, like, let's not forget when it says don't hang out with the wicked, it actually means that. Well, they also had to hide all the other prophets. Obadiah helped hide a hundred. A hundred prophets. And so, like, when we're talking about evilness here, like, we're talking evil. And you got to be careful who you align yourself with. So when Josaphat says, Ah, my my horses are your horses, you're like, really? Do you really understand what, what you just said, Jehoshaphat? I don't know if he really did. And so in verse five, he says, but Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, okay, maybe he's he's in tune, just maybe. He says, hey, but let me first seek what the Lord's will is, okay? So again, simple observation here. In this process, please seek God's will. Okay, what did King Ahab ask? King Ahab asked, will you go what? Take the city, right? Go take Ramoth Gilead. Okay, so I'm with you. But the problem was, this should have been flipped, right? He said, my people are your people. My horses are your horses. He should have said, hey, wait, wait, wait. Before I commit, let me just see what the Lord says. Isn't that what it always, isn't that what we do in America, though? Like, we get this, like, yes, I'm in. Hey, God, can can you help me figure this out? Like, he totally flipped this. And yet, he's one of the good kings. He's one of the legit guys, and so, praise God, we can learn from Him because I think we do this all the time. And, and I, I feel like when we slow down and seek God's will first. So I'm just, I just draw a little arrow there. And you know these passages. I know you've heard these before, but Proverbs 3, verse 5. Remember, Solomon speaking crazy, fun wisdom into our lives. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In verse 6 Think about him in all your ways. And I want to just put in parentheses before you commit to something. (laughs) And then he will guide you on the right paths. Just one more, Kevin. Psalm 32, verse 8, if you would. Psalm 32, verse 8. Scripture says this, I'll instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give counsel. The one thing I'll give credit to Jehoshaphat, at least he involves the Lord. Like, I don't want to be too hard on him. At least he involves the Lord, but you just don't flip it. Do this one, do this one first. All right, scripture continues on in verse six. So the king of Israel, remember Ahab, he gathered the prophets, all of his crew, 400 of them. And he asked them, should I go against Ramoth Gilead for war? Should I refrain? And they replied, all 400 of them, march up and the Lord will hand it over to the king. Can I just tell you this? As a king, you can surround yourself with yes men. These 400 men, total yes men. And I I can, I'm going to show you how we know that. So he says, hey, should we go, right? And and let me just say this in verse 7. But Jehoshaphat, he intervenes and he asks, is there a prophet? Isn't there a prophet of Yahweh here anymore? (laughs) Let's ask him, like, hey, I've seen your 400 guys. Any man of God besides these guys? Like, if you're those 400 guys, you'd be like, uh, like, what am I? Jehoshaphat's like, hello, is there anybody that, you know, and these guys are like, what What are we? I just want to know, is somebody from the Lord here, let's, let's just ask him. And so let me, just add, let me just add this. You know, in this process of seeking God's will, please remember, right, to listen to the right counsel. <laughs> and then the king says in verse 8, well, he said to Jehoshaphat, there's still one man who can ask Yahweh, but I hate him. <laughs> like King A, like here you have Ahab. He's like, oh yeah, there's one guy. I totally hate this guy. And because he never prophesies good about me. Like every time I go to him, oh, he never prophesies good, but he only brings and asks about disaster. And his name is Micaiah, son of Imla. The king shouldn't say that, Jehoshaphat replied. What, what does that even mean? Like you shouldn't say those things. If he's of Yahweh, then we should hear what he has to say. <laughs> I love it. I hate that guy. You know, like get over it, Ahab, right? And so then in verse 9, the king of Israel, like I just feel like these two buddies, Jehoshaphat and and Ahab, I'm not really buddies, but you know, like they're having this talk. Fine. Hurry up, get Micaiah, son of Imla. I already know what's going to happen, right? In verse 11, scripture says this, or in verse 10, excuse me. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, they're both clothed in their royal attire. And it says that they were sitting on his on his own throne. And here's where they're sitting, on their thrones. I feel like they're mobile thrones, by the way. They're, they're on the threshing floor at the entrance to Samaria's gate. And then all of the prophets were prophesying in front of them. What a scene. You're at the heart of the city. All of these prophets, the 400 prophets, are prophesying in front of them and we're waiting on the man of God. Like, what a scene, right? And so the scripture continues on in verse 11. Then Zedekiah, son of Chenea, made iron horns and said, this is what the Lord says. You will gore the Arameans with these until they are finished off. And so you got to love this, right? You know, horns, yes, um, uh, you know, they they emphasize great strength and the iron is going to reinforce it. But basically he's saying, we are going to have a victorious power. We're going to come in and clean house. Well, the problem is, is, Zedekiah is one of the, 400. This is not Micaiah who were waiting on the man of God. And so it says in verse 12, it's like they just want to reestablish. And all the prophets were prophesying the same March up to Ramoth Gilead and succeed, for the Lord will hand it over to the king. And so you're kind of like, man, what? It feels chaotic, does it not? Like we're waiting on the guy, and then the other guys are just spewing out this stuff. And then it says in verse 13, the messenger who went to call Micaiah, he instructed him, look, here's what's happening. The words of the prophets, they're unanimously favorable for the king. In other words, let your words be like theirs and speak favorably. Please don't speak disaster. You know, like that that's what the messenger is saying, right? And this is kind of the mentality of what's happening and in verse 14. But Micaiah said, and I love this, I, I wish, I feel like this is a, a brave heart moment. Like I know he's not Mel Gibson and I know he's not wearing some Scottish garb or whatever, but as, Lord, as the Lord lives, I will say whatever the Lord says to me. In other words, get lost. I'm not going to conform to these prophets that are saying, God's saying this. I, I know what I'm hearing. You don't have to tell me. And so as you listen to the right counsel, you have to remember just a simple point here. Don't conform. Uh, you seek to please, ready for the obvious one? God, not man. Micaiah says, look, okay, this is the process in verse 15, right? So he went to the king and the king asked him. You kind of wonder if he was just holding his breath. Go ahead, Micaiah. What do you got? <laughs> should we go to Ramoth Gilead for war or should we refrain? And, and Micaiah told him, march up and succeed. Yahweh will hand it over to the king. I, I'm kind of confused when you first read this. Are you, Kevin? A little bit. How, why so? Uh, I'll explain too, but... It's kind of what everybody else has been saying. This sounds no different. Like when you read this verse, you don't have to read any commentary to figure this out. That sounds like the false prophets. I think it's sometimes it's like us taking things out of context if you just take this verse. Back then they didn't have numbers, right? So now watch in verse 16, But the king said to him, How many many times must I make you swear to not tell me anything but the truth in the name of Yahweh? So Micaiah says, okay, fine, here's what I mean. I'm going to explain everything about what I mean. And he's given two visions, okay? This is kind of cool. Now remember, in Joel 2 and in Acts 2, it says dreams and visions are going to happen, how long? Until he comes back. So even back then, Micaiah gets a vision. We too can get visions. Visions are when you're awake and the Lord clearly can reveal something about himself, about the truth through the Holy Spirit. And so this is what Micaiah says. He said, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. That, that's not a good vision, just for the record. And the Lord said, they have no master. Let everyone return home in peace. Okay, now this language of um, like the shepherd without a sheep, that's total common language. Like this is not a new language, right? And then he says this in verse 18, the king of Israel, he, he heard Jehoshaphat's words. He says, didn't I tell you he, he never prophesies good about me, but only disaster. So what he's saying is, is he understands that everybody's going to be spread. He understands this vision that this vision is not like, hey, you're going to be great. No, no, no. They're going everywhere. In fact, in verse 19, he gives a second vision. And then he says, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and the whole heavenly host was standing by him at his right hand and at his left hand. And the Lord said, hey, who will entice Ahab, right, king of Israel to march up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? So no one was saying this and another one was saying that. So it keeps going on in verse 21. Then a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. Verse 22, the Lord asked how? And he said, well, I will go and I will become a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. So right now at this moment, okay, think about this, okay? Uh, Micaiah is saying all of these 400 people have a lying spirit in them. And here's the crazy part. Who gave them the lying spirit? The Lord did. The scripture says he put that spirit inside of them. And he says, you will certainly entice them and prevail and go ahead and do that. Now, before some of you are like, wait, wait, you, you freak, you're like, wait a minute. Just go to verse 23. You see, the Lord has put a lying spirit into the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has pronounced disaster against you. So like God can actually use the enemy. I mean, this is a really drastic one. But we know that prophetically, we knew that Jesus was going to be betrayed. We knew that the coming Messiah was going to be betrayed. He's Judas. So there's scenarios that God allows evil, because God is in control of everything, right? I think that's a fair statement. God is in control of everything. So he allows a lying spirit to come in and to actually speak lies into King Ahab. So what? That he would want to go do this. Some of it's, it's judgment. There's a lot coming. So, Kevin, in verse 24, it says, And Zedekiah, one of the prophets, he came up. This is classic, you guys. He hit Micaiah in the face. What? I don't like that word, right? Did the Spirit of the Lord leave me? I'm a prophet to speak to you. And he totally clocks him. Here you have prophets fighting. And so in the middle of not conforming, you know what you should expect? Opposition. Opposition. <laughs> an occasional punch thrower every once in a while. And Micaiah said, look, in verse 25, this is how he responds. You will see when you go, this is how Micaiah responds. You will see that when you go to hide yourself in an inner chamber on that day. In other words, I'll be right. I will be right. And in verse 26, then the king of Israel ordered, take Micaiah, you return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. I've done with him. And he says, this is what the king says. Put this guy in prison, and feed him only bread and water until I come back safely. And I love verse 28. Micaiah says, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he said, listen, all you people. So he he basically, you ready for this? Expect opposition. But then here's what you can do. You guys, once you walk in faith and once you release a word, you need to stand firm and remain confident. Don't be like, oh, oh no, no, maybe I was wrong. No, Micaiah walks in confidence in the Lord. <laughs> if you return safely, <laughs> like he knows exactly what he's, what he's heard. And then in verse 29, then the king of Israel and Judah's king, Jehoshaphat, they went up to Ramoth Gilead. Okay. So what happens right now? Jehoshaphat, even though he hears all of this by him going to Ramoth Gilead says what, Kevin? He's going into the battle. So not only did Jehoshaphat, remember, I said this comes back to Jehoshaphat. Not only did Jehoshaphat allow his son to marry into the Ahab Jezebel family, which was not right. And all of a sudden now he's he's compromising because of that, right? He's compromising and and going into battle. Clearly, Micaiah said, this is not going to be good. And Jehoshaphat just, whatever. And this is the man of God. And so he still does it. And it makes me think, you guys, remember when we talked about like uh, when you're entering into, your, when you become a friend to the world, the world, as Wearsby said, and then slowly you become stained by the world and then slowly you begin to love the world. And then what I love is, not that I like that, but then you become transformed by the world. You begin to, be, you begin to look like the world. And so Jehoshaphat, if you're not careful, he's starting to look a whole lot more like Ahab and Jezebel than he is Jehoshaphat. So that's what happens. In verse 30, the king of Israel, he said to Jehoshaphat, I'm going to disguise myself. I'm going to go into battle. Why? Because he knows the word he heard. (laughs) He knows exactly what Micaiah said. Maybe I can trick the prophecy. And if I dress differently, maybe it won't happen. But you, Jehoshaphat, you keep wearing the same clothes. So the king of Israel, he disguised himself and he went into battle. And the scripture continues on. Now, the king of Aram had ordered his 32 chariots. Commanders, don't fight with anyone at all except the king of Israel, So you can only fight Ahab. Verse 32, Scripture says, When the chariot commander saw Jehoshaphat, <laughs> they see him. They say, he must be the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against the king of Judah. But Jehoshaphat, he cried out. Like, no offense, but I, when I hear he cried out, like, I actually feel like, like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, like I hear almost a, a little bit of a, I don't want to say a chicken because I, I know that's not right. But he totally cried out and God actually had to intervene in this situation to save Jehoshaphat's rear because he compromised by aligning himself with the king of Israel. It says, when the chariot commanders, look at this, when the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a man drew his bow within, without taking special aim, just random, literally. And he struck the king of Israel, Ahab, through the joints of his armor. So he said to his charioter, Turn around, take me out of the battle, I am badly wounded. So, some random soldier throws out an arrow, shoots it, and it just, it says it comes between somewhere between the breastplate and, and the lower armor, not even aiming at one specific person, and he's badly wounded. The battle raged throughout that day. And the king was propped up in his chariot, facing I mean, this is what you see of battle. The guy's literally just dying there, bleeding to death. And he said he died that evening. And the blood from his wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. Scripture says in verse 36, And the cry rang out in the army as the sun set, declaring each man to his own city. Look at this. Is this not the prophecy already? What is the the first vision? The first vision was they're all going to scatter. They're all going to spread. And each man is going to go to his own land. Micaiah's first vision is coming to fruition. So it says in verse 37, The king died was brought to Samaria, right? And they buried the king in Samaria. But now in verse 38, the prophecy continues continues to come true. Then someone washed a chariot at the pool of Samaria. The dogs licked up the king's blood, and this is even more gross. The prostitutes they bathed in it. Gross. According to the word of the Lord that has been spoken, Elisha's prophecy in 21, 19 through 24, came to fruition. So now here you have Micaiah and Elisha's words coming to fruition. Why? Because, uh, because Ahab thought, maybe if I put on different clothes, I can get by. I can work around God's plan. I can work around what's supposed to be for my life. And I'm just going to have to tell you, it, it doesn't work. And somewhere in all of this, Jehoshaphat's just going with the ride. He allowed his son to get married as a compromise. He's in a battle now that he shouldn't have. He almost died. God spared his life. But whenever you compromise, I'm telling you guys, you're one step farther away from the will of God. Whenever you compromise in who you are in the Lord, you're one step farther away than walking in the will of God. And that's exactly what's happening to Jehoshaphat if he's not careful. And in verse 39, then it says, the classic, the rest of the events of Ahab's reign, along with all of his accomplishments, including, It's. I I feel like I'm reading the obituary including the ivory palace he built and all the cities he built, you can find more information written in the historical record of Israel's kings. And then, man, there's just a lot more here. It talks about Ahab resting in verse 42. It talks about Jehoshaphat, how he was 35 years old when he became king. He reigned for 25 years. And the only other thing I want to add, Okay. The only other thing I want to add about Jehoshaphat, and we don't have time to get into this, is that if you'll see this, if it gets into uh, and, and Jehoshaphat, not just in defense of him, just so you know, like he did do good, right? I mean, we do know that he removed in verse forty-six uh, the rest of the male cult prostitutes who were left there from his father Asa. Like there was, so we we get this. Like there's some things that he's trying to do. Okay, fair enough. But at the same time, there's one more compromise and I like what they wrote here, is it was a boat compromise. Went from bride compromise, battle compromise, and a boat compromise. So he's always playing this game of, am I following the Lord? Am I not following the Lord? And this boat compromise, just so you know, it says in verse 48, Jehoshaphat, he made ships of Tarshish, to, Tarshish, Mephibosheth, to go to Ophir, Ophir for gold, but they did not go because the ships were wrecked. You ready for this? At Ezion Gaber. Okay, and it continues on, and at the time, Ahaziah, son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, okay, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat was not willing. Here's the craziest thing. You want to know what the compromise was? Again, the compromise is pretty simple. Jehoshaphat, he foolishly joined up with Ahaziah, right? Which would have been who? Right? A family member. I mean, it would be his son's brother-in-law, right? But because he partnered again in doing this, what happened? The boat. The boat was wrecked. So it's just like, when are you going to learn, you guys? Keep walking in the sweet spot. So I just want to say, be careful who you align yourself with. Seek God's will. Listen to the right counsel in this process. And as you're listening, don't conform. Don't give in. You can expect opposition. But as you do this, one thing I want to learn, I want to learn myself, is stand firm and remain confident in what you've heard from the Lord. Jehoshaphat, if there's anybody, he needs to know that. In Jude, it talks about all of these truths that are going to start coming at people, but they're not truths. They're not real truths. They're fake truths. They're false. We have the absolute truth. And our job is to hold firm to this truth and inquire the Lord as we go. All right, guys, that's 1 Kings 21 and 22. And you know what I love about all this? You know how we can hold on to the truth? Because He's something greater. He's greater than any of these kings that we've talked about. Christ truly is greater. Here's the fun part. Tomorrow we get into 2 Kings. It's a whole lot of the same more. Of of the whole lot of the the more. How do you say that? It's a whole lot more coming. It's going to feel like 1 Kings. Alright guys, have a great day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks.